In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, what a wedding that our Lord Jesus tells about in the, in the parable. It's really something else. I mean, we, we should perhaps be ready for this sort of thing when we look at the bulletin, and it says on the front there, the Sunday of the wedding feast, but then has a picture of a man in rags being thrown into a dungeon. We know that this is maybe not going to go how we would expect a parable to go about a wedding. <laughs> this is, in fact, a wedding where we listen to the parable, unfold about it, and we should be thinking to ourselves, what in the world is going on here? This is nuts. Things are getting out of hand. Indeed. In fact, as we look at the parables, we should be training ourselves to look for the, for the thing that's out of place, for the thing that's unexpected, for the thing that, that we don't think should be there. But when we hear this parable of the wedding feast, the whole parable is like that. At least once we get a few verses into it. I mean, it starts out fine enough, regular enough. Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, so far, so good. It sounds like it's going to be a nice story. A nice king, a nice son, a nice bride, a nice wedding day. So let's get the party started. The king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Now, now, now it starts to get a bit strange that nobody wants to come to the king's feast. I mean, people fight and clamor and climb all over each other to get an invitation like this, to be invited to the wedding feast of the king. But these guests simply aren't interested. Perhaps things aren't going to be as nice as we thought in the parable. But at least at this point, we're still in the realm of possibility. But listen to what, what happens next. Verse 4. He sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The king again sends out his gracious invitation. This is the third time the guests are invited to the feast. The second time that the servants are sent out to actually call them in. But they paid no attention, verse 5, and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. The guests are rude. They ignore the servants. They, they just go off to their own thing. But hold on to your hats. Because here it comes, verse 6. Some paid attention, went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. What? <laughs> Did you hear it? The guests that were invited to the king's son's wedding, took the king's servants, manhandled them, treated them shamefully, and then murdered them. That's what Jesus says. That these servants are murdered for inviting these other guys to a party. This makes no sense whatsoever. Imagine it. The mailman comes. <laughs> a beautiful gold-gilded envelope 
Maybe the governor, his son, is getting married, and you're invited, and he gives you the invitation, and you shoot him. Pow! <laughs> what? Why? This makes no sense. But it's about to escalate rapidly. I mean, things are going to get crazier. Verse 7, the king was angry, and so he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. <laughs> now, what do you think about that? I suspect that, that nobody in the parable expected the day to turn out this way when they woke up that morning. <laughs> the king had a feast planned. All these people would come and enjoy the, the marvelous uh, uh, joy and food of his son's wedding. These men who were invited woke up that morning and they had their business and their home and their village, which was not at least that morning a huge heap of smoldering ash. But suddenly everything went haywire. The refusal to come to the feast, the killing of the second round of messengers, the sending of the armies to kill, to kill the murderers, and the throwing of the burning torches through the windows of their home, and the watching from a distance as the smoke rises and the wail of the widows ascends up into heaven. I mean, this is really incredible. And then, almost as if nothing happened, Verse 8, the king says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Note that word worthy. It's going to come up in a bit. Go, therefore, the king says, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many of as you find. If you're keeping track, a little tally there, this is the third time the servants have now been sent out to bring people into the wedding feast. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Finally, the king gets what he wanted all along, a hall full of guests, feasting and celebrating the wedding of his son. And notice, please, how these guests, the guests on the first list that were called but didn't come, the guests that now lay on the ground slain were unworthy, but that these guests on the second guest list are, says the text, both good and bad. It's an important little detail. We don't want to miss it. For being worthy to be in this feast is not the same thing as being good. In fact, this, this entire text is about what it means to be worthy to be in the wedding feast of the king. And we're about to get another lesson. Because just when you thought this parable had put you back on solid ground, everyone's there having a good time, feasting and enjoying the wedding feast of the sun, verse 11 comes along. But when the king came to look at his guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. I don't know if you can see it, but I can almost see in my imagination the face of the king as he walks, as he walks through this feast with a huge smile on his face, smiling at all of the people that have come to rejoice in the wedding of his son. And then he sees, maybe over against the wall, in and amongst the guests, a man without a wedding garment. And the king looks at him, and his face falls, and his eyes are filled with anger, and he cuts through the crowd, and he walks straight to that guy and stands in front of the man and says to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man is speechless. Now, 
Note that these guests had been pulled off the streets, that they were traveling from one place to another. Because of that, and because this is the feast of a king, and because of the theology of the whole Bible, we must assume that wedding garments were provided for the guests by the king that they would have been there at the door when the people were coming in, that the servants would have helped dress the guests so that they would all have the fitting garments for this wedding. We would further assume that these garments were beautiful. They would have been rich, richly embroidered, very expensive, clean, holy, and a delight for the person receiving them. Again, it's the free gift of the king that's being extolled here, but it's being rejected by this one man who refuses to put on the wedding garment of the king. Who knows why? Who knows why he did this? Who knows why the people that weren't invited didn't come to the wedding? Who knows why unbelief does anything that it does? And the king, standing there with this man, says to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For, says Jesus, many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. Now this, dear saints, is a roller coaster ride of a parable. It's supposed to be. And here's what it means. The king is God the Father. The son who's getting married is our Lord Jesus. The wedding feast is the church. The blessedness and joy of knowing Jesus. The first guests who were invited but refused to come were the Jewish people who refused Jesus when he finally arrived. The servants that were sent to them the two times were the prophets. And at last, John the Baptist. The soldiers who were deployed to destroy the village were the Roman armies who would eventually utterly destroy Jerusalem, tearing apart the temple one stone at a time. The people on the second guest list, the people traveling down the road, are the Gentiles, all the people of the world. They are you and I. And the servants sent to invite these to come in are the apostles and the evangelists and the ministers of the New Testament. And last and perhaps most important, the wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ. It is His forgiveness, His holiness, His perfection, which is given to us as a gift. And here's the point. The the teaching in this parable the teaching that our Lord Jesus would have us meditate upon today is that each of us will, on the last day, stand before God to be judged. And on this day, this great judgment day, we will be found in one of two states. We will either, on the one hand, be found clothed in the tattered filth of our own attempts at good works, Or we will be found clothed in the perfection of our Lord Jesus. For those found on that last day, clothed in their sin and their own efforts and works, their doom is eternal destruction. Hell. What our Lord says here, bind him hand and foot and cast him in the outer darkness In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
This indeed is a fearful and frightful warning and cause for repentance. But for those found clothed in the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus, this wedding feast that our Lord tells us about is a feast that knows no end. It is a feast that has joy that can never be fully exhausted. It is life that goes on forever. So how do we know? How do we know if we are clothed in the blessed wedding garments? How can we be sure that we are covered with the righteousness of Christ? How can we without doubt know that when the Lord comes to judge us, we will not be bound hand and foot and thrown into darkness? Are you baptized? Listen to what the, the Scriptures promise you about your baptism. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, Galatians 3, 27. Or Paul, again, in, in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave them up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the Word, so that He, Jesus, might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and without blemish. Are you baptized? Then you are clothed in the wedding garments. Have you heard the Word of God? Have you heard the absolution, forgiving your sins? Listen to what our Lord Jesus says about that. John 15, 3. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You've heard and believed God's word. You are clothed in his righteousness. And are you coming to the Lord's Supper? where our Lord Jesus has bound up His promise of forgiveness with His body and blood, listen to what the Scriptures says about that. Revelation chapter 7, one of the elders addressed John saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come from? John says, Sir, you know. And then he says, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. By this holy communion, you are clothed in the wedding garments. We, dear saints, have the confidence that we are called and chosen by God in our baptism, in the absolution, here in the supper, because God does not lie, and here He has promised us His forgiveness. Now, I know... I know that you don't feel worthy to stand before God on Judgment Day. I don't either. And the truth is, we aren't worthy. All of us, each one of us, are sinners. We should be judged by God to be guilty and to be cast away from His face, to be cast into outer darkness forever and ever. But our Heavenly Father, listen, our Heavenly Father has forgiven our sins. He has washed us with the blood of His Son. He has clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus, and He has made us worthy, worthy to stand before His face in eternity, in perfect joy, forever and ever. 
For those who are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the coming of our Lord Jesus and the last day is a day of great fear. But for us, for we who have been called and chosen, for us, for, for us, dear saints, that have been wrapped in the righteous robes of Christ, that wedding feast, that judgment, is our deliverance and our great hope. And so, dear baptized, you who have been clothed with the robes of the righteousness of Christ, rejoice. For the wedding feast of the Son is yours to enjoy forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.